Hi everyone, welcome to the Early Education Show. It's great to be back with you. We're back with episode 27. I'm Liam. I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne. How are you both? It feels like ages since we got together and did this. It's been a year, hasn't it? <laughs> I think it must be. I was thinking more like two. Oh, so it's only been Such two... I think it's only been two weeks of no episodes, but then I was looking back at our previous one. The two before that were the sort of weird ones. So we interviewed other people and then you, we did the, the Chill Out episodes. It actually has been about four weeks since we just recorded normally. Oh, I've okay. completely forgotten how it all works. So, Liam, you are, I'm, if I'm you've forgotten. You are recording. <laughs> if you've forgotten how it works, then there's no hope for us oh, because no. we had an I sure don't know. We just show up, Liam. We just anticipate oh, that you'll smooth all the edges and make it perfect. Well, that's all right. Look, behind the scenes, people, no we, we have a very fancy Google document which keeps us very much on track. So we're just going to be <laughs> relying on that uh, this week. But um, we hope everyone um, had a had some had a bit of time off over the Easter long weekend if they got it. And um, it is, it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to talking early childhood after getting a bit cranky about the uh, jobs for family stuff. But we're going to park there that, I think. We're going to, yes, we're going to park it for a little while. But obviously, I think we'll be coming back to implementation issues probably later in the year. But um, we'll start, as we always do, if I remember correctly, with the news list. So we're not going to cover everything we've sort of missed over the last few weeks because it'll just be too much. We'll probably just um, pull out a few of the big ones um, and particularly look at one uh, that'll be the main topic for tonight. So um, this one got a fair bit of traction. I, I sort of saw it the first on ABC, which we'll link to, but it sort of got picked up by a couple of other papers, which is um, the notion of uh, early childhood centres and organisations charging on public holidays, which... Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's been a practice for quite a while. This is the first time I've seen a lot of um, a lot of news about it. But the ABC had a the ABC had a fairly well balanced story, sort of looking at both sides of it. But I think it got picked up by some of the the Murdoch tabloids and got a bit of a crazy crazy run. Um, our main topic for tonight, we're going to sort of talk. Um, we're going to use that as a bit of a springboard to talk about um, early childhood as a business. So how it how you know, what are the tensions and difficulties of early childhood centres having to operate as businesses? But I guess with regard to this specific article, what did what did people think? Well, I guess, what did you think about the coverage particularly? It got a bit, it seemed like, I don't know if it's just because I had a bunch of um, people email me separate articles, but it seemed like it struck a nerve with people. Oh, I think this always strikes a nerve because it's all about how much people pay. Um, for their childcare, and it's sort of it's an easy target, I suppose, because you know people feel like they shouldn't pay for something that they're not actually using because we don't have our heads on straight about how childcare is actually um, you know run. I suppose that's the that's the problem, and that people continue to need to be paid, and I think it's all around how people actually pay for it because it's calculated at that daily rate. So it seems to represent, you know, you pay what you get for, You sorry, you get what you pay for. Um, and if you're not using your childcare, how come you have to pay for it? Yeah, which is why um, the government's managed to get the, that particular part of the Jobs of Families package through, which is the, the change to hourly billing is that that's a, yeah, that simplistic argument about, well, if you're not using it all day, why should you pay for it? But, yeah, I mean, the problem with this is it's a symptom. It's not a problem. The, 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 the reason centres have to do that, and I, I get both sides of the argument, but I also, but I, having been working in an operations role, 
um, in a, particularly in a community not for profit, like the margins are so tight, so that that's a, a decision that people have to make, and I understand why they do. But um, to to treat it separately out of context, so the issue of money is it's, it's a symptom of the problem of early childhood having to operate as a business at all. So, you know, this. Well, is, yeah, and I think I think that I mean I remember this being a problem when I was a director in about nineteen twenty seven, <laughs> and um, it. And it was always... She really is old. (laughs) All we had to say to the families was, are you paid on public holidays? That was the only only thing that I ever had to say to families. I mean, mind you, childcare was like $2 a day (laughs) in 1927. (laughs) That that was the only thing that I had to say to families and they just went, yep, right, thanks. You're exactly right. Slight difference though, but the one that I always use now is okay. Um, do your children go to a private school? Yes, they do. Do you think you're paying for public holidays? <laughs> and then the penny kind of drops because they think, yeah, but we just think of that as an amount per term or per month or per week or whatever. That's right. Yeah. And that's yeah, so why can't you do the same here? The difference is is because not all people work, not all people use childcare five days a week, whereas everyone uses school yeah. five days a week. So it seems to fall unfairly on those that have Mondays. And I think it does fall unfairly on those that have Mondays. And I think that childcare services shouldn't, yeah, you know, should be thinking of ways to do it so that they're not overtly charging for the Mondays when there is public holidays but are still recouping the rate. Like, but I think that that also gets around to some self-management. I do agree with you, but I, I'm sure that Liam will tell us from an operational perspective that Monday and Fridays are, are days that the utilisation is lower and yeah. there's some of that choice that, that is made by part-time. I know there's like about 25 layers to this conversation in terms of work work um you know routine and all those sorts of things but i think in some ways that that actually there's a there's a problem there in that market anyway but would there be as much of a problem with mondays um people not booking into mondays if it wasn't that they knew that they'd be paying for yeah seven or eight days across the year that they couldn't actually use i think that's why you know like it's it's just I actually hear so often childcare centres not be able to adequately budget and work. Sorry, why am I calling them childcare centres? Education care services not being able to adequately budget and to work out what their cost is per day minus the public holidays. And so instead they just work out a daily cost by dividing everything by 48 and then by five rather than going okay, let's take off the 12 public holidays here and and work out how many days we have to divide by. But I think that's the problem, Lisa. I think what, as as you pointed out, like that's not how school is viewed. So it's not viewed as this thing you pay for at a daily, like you pay for it day by day. It's seen as this thing you buy. You're, you're paying for education for a block of time. So because people are not viewing early childhood that way, they're literally they're viewing it, and I understand why, because it's so expensive, but they're viewing it as but this thing they're paying the day way, by day. Yeah. 
Yeah, and that's that's the way that the because that's the way it's subsidised and that's the way it's set yeah. up. And if you use a a preschool, for example, you your fees are generally not paid on a day by day basis. Um, certainly in New South Wales, they're paid in in different ways across the term. So I think it it is that perception <clears throat> stuff about how yeah. how you know your your um, access to a childcare is calculated. I think it's the thing. So I can talk till I'm blue in the face and and I've had to talk to families about why, um, you know, in organisations I've worked for, that does happen. So I can can talk till I'm blue in the face about you need to not think about the day-by-day that you're buying that, you know, you are paying for that day to be yours across the year or for however long your enrolment's going to last Mm. and that, that the public holidays will fall where they do. But because of... Because, as I said, this is a symptom; it's not the actual problem. But because of how, because of how expensive early childhood is, and how wrapped up in workforce participation it is, families I know I completely understand why you know aren't aren't buying that line. Yeah, but it's. But well, what what's going to be think, great uh, up ahead is that with the jobs for families package, we're going to have a completely casualised uh, workforce. Yeah. So families will be able to maintain that they're not going to pay for that, and they won't have to. Yeah. Liam, is the article that you linked to the one where they, in fact, try and work out how many people in the sector are casuals to work out yeah. if we're ripping people off? They is did, and, and they worked one? it out. Yeah, they, but, this is, but this is the issue. This is the issue I've had with stats for a long time as well, is that they combine um, all of the sectors, so school age care, uh, long day care, I think even family day care. So the stats, so this is about early childhood uh, particularly, but you can't separate it out. So the the stats say there's about it was something like thirty five to forty percent of the sector is casual, which just isn't true. It just it's not even close to being true. But school aged care, the they they would be listed as either casual or part time because of the hours. So it's impossible to know. it. I think um, the the spokesperson for the Australian Child Care Alliance was quoted in that said it was something like he would he would estimate across the services he works with it's about ten to fifteen percent. I would tend to agree. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But it's but that's looking also at the the casual pools that people keep and the you know all, all of those things, not just who's actually working in the that's service right. on a time basis. But look, we'll um we'll, we'll tackle some more of these details. I think this just Liam, sorry, can I just say there's two other things that and we need to look at here, which is are you sure? See, I remember how to do this. Let me just say there's two other things. Um, one of which is the uh the actual. Um, why it suddenly became an issue in the media. Mm. And I checked out in previous years and it has become an issue um, around Christmas time before. I found an article where Liam was interviewed um, by the media and made quite sensible comments about it. Thank you. Um, (laughs) But it has been a thing, but I think we're going to see a lot, lot more of this as the Jobs for Families package comes out where childcare services education care services are demonised a bit for yeah. their charging practices. Yeah, definitely. But the other thing that I think is important is that you look at the the general ethos is that people are making money out of childcare. People don't think of schools making money because they're not-for-profit, whereas people think of childcare and they think of big business and they think that people are making money out of it and it, it we just become another commodity then like you know, yeah. um yeah and people yeah, have consumer rights then 
yeah. I think we'll yeah. Look, I think I think we'll definitely get into that deeply in the topic to the main topic tonight as well. But I think you 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 you're bang on, Lisa. And I'll probably have a bit more to say to that later on. Um, the next one that uh, I wanted to quickly raise, only because this this scene, the headline seemed fantastic. So I remember going, oh, this is going to be a great article because it came out a few weeks after the JFF passed. But um, it's an editorial in the Courier uh, Mail. Um, and the headline is, Childcare System Too Important to be Held Hostage by Politics. So I thought, oh, great, this is going to be a fantastic look. And there are some good parts in it, but there are also some uh, not fantastic parts. And it touches almost on what we were saying um, just about that before, which is it has a bit of a go at the sector. So um, it, it it was sort of coming off the um, that 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 article about being charged over the um, the Easter long weekend, particularly, which is why the article came out at that point. But it then gets into the it makes very good points about the complexities of the subsidies and how um, and how tricky and challenging it is, particularly for families to understand. But that it kind of <coughs> it kind of at the end lays the blame. At the sector, and at the end, it says, um, "I'll quote." It says, "It's time that the childcare industry—two words that I do not want to go together in any way, shape, or form—it's uh, time that the childcare industry was subject to the same level of scrutiny as other tax-subsidized schemes, such as superannuation, private health insurance. The industry has given little sign of being able to self-regulate to a degree that makes its fees and conditions clear to clients. It's time to look towards making the system more consistent." And more transparent. So I, I do I have to. agree with that. Well, I, I do, but I, I do have to briefly just get on because I and and I feel like I'm playing this card a lot tonight. And I promise I'll, I'll, I'll actually, given the topic, I may have to play it a few times. But you know, working in an operations role and working with families and centres, that this is a classic example of getting the general point right but completely missing the details. So the the article yeah. sort of says that services aren't um, explaining fees and systems and but the system it, it's incomprehensible. And I, I, I regularly put up my hand and so say I've worked in early childhood for 14 years. I have I have one child now. I had two children in early childhood centres. I barely understand the CCB and CCR system, let alone families trying to access it. So, But but th- this article seems to lay the blame at the centres for making things complicated. And I yeah. said, well, yes, things are complicated, but it's not the sector's fault. Yes, there will be some services and organisations that are look probably not doing fantastic stuff, but the, the, the overwhelming majority are just trying to do the a trying to understand the system themselves and b trying their best to to work within it yeah but i looked at that actually quite differently to the way that you have mm. looked at that um and the way i looked at that was to say yep because if somebody is charging 180 dollars a day to have um for a child in a child care center i want them to explain how much of that is going into their pocket. Yeah, but I yes, that was that was kind of how I I read that because it's talking about the fees and charges, and I think I think one of the things is in in looking at it through through the um, are you ready for this, Lamb? The community <laughs> the community based normative view. <laughs> Did you like Ooh. that, Lisa? <laughs> oh, that sounds like academic. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. You're not, you do, you're not um, doing your PhD on our podcast time, Leanne. Come on. <laughs> no, but in looking at it, I, I actually read that and thought, yeah, I think that's a fair point, because, but only because I felt like I think some of these fees and charges do need explaining. However, I can see what you're saying about it's, it is incomprehensible and it is really difficult to unpack. But I guess I wanted the point to be that you know what? You explain why it costs so much to, for that child to be 
in the centre, please let please let your customers know that you're putting a certain amount of that in your pocket. Yeah. I think that the article's just absolutely ununderstandable. When it was came out, I tweeted it <laughs> under the headline, like headline under the, my tweet read um, an uh, uh, interesting editorial about childcare, and quite a few people agreed with me. This might be like an early childhood Rorschach test, Leanne, which is why we're read, we're seeing what we want to see in this article. <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> it could be. <laughs> we'll link to it if people. That's true. That's it could true. be, yeah. I just think it doesn't I mean, get it doesn't get to a point. I know what you're saying, Lisa. It just it doesn't. It, you're right. It just it waffles. There's not there's and not a, a solid point like at the end of it. Like it acts as if as if there was you know like it's news that there's a new childcare <laughs> package coming out, whereas <laughs> that particular paper has covered the childcare package in all its glory <laughs> for months, months, mm. years, and years. Is that the Courier Mail one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, enough, enough said. Let's yeah, let's go on to another one. Is well, there any good ones? Well, no, I'm in trouble now because the next one on the list is another Courier Mail one. Sorry, everyone, but it's a fairly, it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a better one. So this is about um, reporting on, and I don't know why I chose this one because I think a few people reported it, so that's on me. But um, the some new research that's come out from um, the US with some. Uh, following on from the Abbasidarian research that was done in the seventies, I want to say. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that has looked at the long-term benefits of early childhood, and particularly children being in five days a week, um, high-quality early childhood education and care. So, look, I don't think we need to go too deeply into it, but um, it's. Uh, I, I think I was just I was glad to see, particularly in the Courier Mail, which is um, known for some tabloid nonsense, is a pretty just direct uh, look at the importance of. Uh, early childhood and particularly um, knocking back because there's been articles bubbling up for the last couple of years about the negative uh, negative impacts on children of um, full-time attendance at early childhood education and care and this seems and this you know at least from the research of the Abbasidarian project suggests that it's actually if they're high quality which is what we've always said services have to be high quality but if they are um, it's you know huge benefits for those children for the rest of their lives Mm. Yeah, and I like the idea that they, well, not the idea, the well-researched topic that they would, would have a better relationship with their parents later in life. Just yeah. Child, yeah, I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> Is there anything childcare doesn't do for you? No, but I actually wish that now I had sent my all my children to full-time early childhood and on the weekends as well. <laughs> Definitely good for parent mental health anyway. <laughs> Um, sorry, I'm saying that as I've been up late last two nights as a uh, toddler transitions into his bed and then realises he can escape at any point and the, the older one has conjunctivitis. So the idea of children being out of the house for a seven days straight actually sounds quite good. Anyway. <laughs> well, it'll be good for your relationship, Liam. Do it. <laughs> Very true. And then the last one, this actually, sorry, we're going to end on a slight angry point again. And this one is actually just me. Won't have a quick rant. Um, this is in the Australian. God, I've not picked good uh, good news outlets this week. Sorry, everyone. Um, which is another crack at essentially the safe school stuff. But this is a specific um, program in Victoria that's being put into uh, preschools, which is... Um, a look at sort of gendered play and, and, and again again this is more resources for teachers to sort of you know challenge and, and deconstruct some of those things so of course 
New News Limited, the Australian, has declared this to be rampant socialism of the absolute worst kind and has quoted some nonsense nut job. Um, uh, what are they called? Uh, right wing think tank, the Centre for the Independent Center Studies. For Independent Studies. To... Yeah, I thought that was fair and objective reporting. Uh, and I just look at again. We don't need to get deeply into this. This how this this sort of stuff comes up, and it just it it, it enrages me to tears because News Limited, particularly, are the first to jump on things like when there are domestic violence campaigns. They were the first to jump on and. Um, and you know demand huge sweeping reform but then when things are actually done which you know research has suggested that you know that the best spot to do we that you know gender stereotypes and um and uh, biases can be set you know by the time they go to school when something's actually done they they jump up and down and go crazy they just see this oh, stuff annoys me so much to the article gender stuff's got nothing to do with domestic violence no oh, well, no why would it that's that's a madness of course. Yeah. Oh, my God. But so I think again. maybe any article that you look at, you just flick down to the comments. If there's 362 comments, oh as there are, God. then I think you should just delete it. Because <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's bound to attract. I mean, I just think of some of your articles, Lisa, that just, they're, they're crazy. People are crazy. Oh. I shouldn't say yeah. that. I well, no. that's, actually, that's not very objective, is it? <laughs> my only thing is you're not going far enough, Leanne. <laughs> Some yeah, of our but, politicians are crazy as well. But some of the comments below it, I, I, I mean, they're, they're terrible. You don't no. even want to think that people think that stuff. Don't read the comments, Leanne. And listeners, don't, no. read, the, don't read the comments. That's our I advice. Know. Don't do it. I know. All right. Just the, frame, the framing of it, I think, is really, really poorly. It's just very poorly framed. I and know. And the, and the lack of, of independent comment even independent oh, comment, not even uh, the only thing i might add as well before we go on to the main topic so trying to find this article um underneath so on the google search result when this came up underneath there was this link to the, i could see the website address was um you're teaching our children what.org and i was fascinated and for this not, not particularly to do with the childhood but this it's this insane website run by god knows who which is basically just this anti-safe school stuff but about families um you know basically going on about gender ideology and oh God, it's really it's i mean it's it looks like it's been put together you know in, in someone's shed in five minutes so it's a fairly hilarious looking website but the stuff in it god heaven forbid we should we should protect children and teach them about this stuff oh my god this is the people get worked up over this stuff i just don't I, and i know i'm worked up about it now but i don't know but it just it i oh i don't know I don't know what's going on with people. That's my analysis, everyone. Thank you. Did you? Did you? <laughs> the world um, is curious read, to you. <laughs> there was an article. Miranda Devine wrote an no. article, um, very similarly, um, which um, was called "Safe." The headline was "Safe Schools May Be Gone." But we're not safe yet. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, and one of the um, uh, things that she talked about in there was a childcare, sorry, an early education care service where um, a child had an attachment, a particular boy child gave an att had an attachment to wearing a dress and the father wasn't okay with that and what happened from there. And at the time that this article came out where she was just dumping um, 
you know, absolute shit on what the education care service tried to do with the child and the father about this particular thing. I was um, working with um, Red Ruby Scarlet on a book that about gender and various other um, biases in education care services. And for about two days I couldn't write because I thought every time I went to write I thought, how will this appear in a Miranda Divine call? It stopped me in my tracks. Oh, <laughs> oh God. my goodness. When did you ever start worrying about that? Well, yeah, but when you just see how things that appear yeah, quite normal to us, like, you know, helping a little boy that really wanted to wear a dress with a father who wasn't really cool about it, and hear how that's distorted, then suddenly everything that you put about practices of the education and care sector can be distorted. Yeah. 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 So that's uh, that's the end of the news list for this week, and we will um, we will shift over uh, now to our main topic for tonight. So. Back in episode uh, 14, I had to quickly look that up, we, we sort of looked at um, the history of sort of corporate early childhood education and care and the sort of market-based approach um, to early childhood in Australia. And I think that was, that was a very sort of big picture look at the sort of history and the, and the context of that kind of stuff. Um, what we're going to do to, uh, today for this episode is, is probably just uh, dive, sort of go a layer down for that. So obviously we were really interested in, in the articles and about... Um, the the charging on public holidays. So we want to we want to look tonight as um, I guess basically early childhood as businesses specifically. So moving away from the big picture um, structure of the sector and actually thinking about you know services and organisations and having to run early childhood education uh, in a business sense because there's a, there's kind of a lot to a lot to dig in and go there. But I would recommend if you haven't yet, if you're um, you know if you just uh, started listening to the show. Recently, let's go back and listen to episode fourteen. We had a we had a, we had a good, um, fairly long chat on that uh, with uh, our pal Carl Hessian, who's who's very knowledgeable and interested in that space as well. Um, but I guess just being really, just to do a really really quick summary, um, is that you know in, in Australia, early childhood always used to be um, community not for profit provision, um, and in the nineties that was overturned and and. and free markets were allowed to sort of enter the space uh, and this would have been as part of a conservative ideology that um, free markets solve everything um, and that the issues with um, uh, both affordability and access would be solved by having lots of competition and lots of free market providers coming in and um, and doing that. Uh, we, we sort of discussed whether that worked back in that episode. Spoiler alert, we don't think it did. But... Um, that but so what we have at the moment now is that services um, can operate uh, for a profit, um, but even community not-for-profit services under the under the law, they basically they still have to operate as businesses. So even if they're not making a profit out of what they do, they're still businesses and they have to be run as such. And and this is where I think a lot of the issues that were present um, in that article there was there anything I've, it, is there anything we sort of need to touch on in terms of context before we we go into more detail? But I think that people, I mean, no. No. no, I think we, we explained it, didn't we, in, in episode 14. Yeah. 
about how it came about? I think so, yeah. So I guess do we want to start with, and I might turn to, I mean, I've had, I mean, Leanne, particularly with your experience as a CEO of quite a large um, early childhood business, which we'll have to call it for this episode, um, <laughs> separate to... Sorry, <laughs> I just, I'm having horrors. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, uh, so separate to... The big picture stuff, so people would be aware of our own advocacy and our own views on whether the sector should be a market-based model or not. We, 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 we all think it shouldn't. But is there a play? Like, can early childhood education work as a business at all? Like, do we, like, near land, is that something that you think can work? It, uh, it depends. Well, I, it, whichever way I talk about it, I'm going to talk about how it, it works in terms of what you do with any surplus that comes as a result of it. And from from my perspective, you know, that surplus that you make should be ploughed back into it, of course. Um, and I think the way that early childhood is structured means that you're only going to make good money on it if you underpay your staff or if you charge an amount that gives you a rather large return. So with the, those two sort of tensions, I, personally, as a business, I think it does work, but not as one that makes large profits. Which is the point of the that's, of the market. That's, my, that's so, yeah. my shorthand. Well, no, I think, but I think that's, I mean, that's really a bit of a summary. I mean, you can sort of digest it a bit more, but I think you're right because, but, and that's the reason we think things like, you know, the big ABC collapse was an attempt to make an early childhood business that could make a lot of money. And it was a huge failure. Now, that's only what, 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 that's only one data point, as people say. And we, we see there are quite a lot of large businesses sort of, um, you know, organisations like G8 and stuff that seem to be at least a lot cleverer than ABC about their expansion and, and seem to think it would work. But even just thinking about, you know, individual centres or smaller organizations and having worked in those right it is you, you you're right the, the the way the sector is structured the, the regulations the ratios that that the, the ways you've suggested there are the only ways to really make money but i'd also say in general like given the amount of subsidies that are pumped indirectly into the system through family rebates like clearly it doesn't work as a business because otherwise there wouldn't need to be these huge rebates if it, if it worked as a free market business yeah, operation I, we wouldn't need all the we wouldn't need the chocolate no. I agree, and I think the scale, you know, can work. That's why some of the the bigger operators are um, in the the not-for-profit sector are are making quite significant amounts of money as well. But I've always seen CCB and CCR as a business incentive opportunity, never really as a, you know, because it is, it, it reduces the amount of, it reduces the fee for families, which means that it is affordable, so it's so-called <laughs> affordable. Um, and it has encouraged um, people to establish services. Would, would all those people who are in the early childhood sector to make a profit be there if the subsidies weren't there? Of course not. It's one of the first things that, you know, the people that do assessments of childcare as a business point out the government support and that the fact that the government supports appears to be ongoing. I read one the other day that said that they were gearing their business towards 
the middle and medium, yeah, the medium and lower end of the market because that's where the government funding would remain, whether it would remain at the top end or not was, you know, whatever. But the main thing for those businesses is not so much that that money helps build profit, although obviously it does, but it provides cash flow. Mm. So there's very few businesses that I can think of where the government plucks a large sum of money into your bank account every week. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, you know it's going that to really be works. But in terms, for me, in terms of businesses, childcare is a huge business, you know. Let me just give you some of the profits that some of the childcare landlords made in 2015-16. That's the latest year that I've got figures. Arena Reach made $25.6 million. Folkestone Education made $106.8 million, right? They are huge sums of money that childcare landlords are getting out. Mm. Now, I don't see that money being made by education care services. G8 is like, in my opinion, it's kind of like tottering, you know, only being propped up by increased borrowings continually. I do think, you know, the KUs and the... um, uh, what's that? sorry, S D N Queensland the C N K C N K, um, you know, are managing it on economy of scale and you know on the smell of an oily rag, and they're managing to get enough returns in that they can keep going. But I don't think that either Mar and Pa childcare centres or you know standalone community-based childcare centres can make money. I think they run a run break-even most of the time. So, so I guess the answer to it is that, yes, it can work as a business, but it always comes back to that question of should it, should it work as a business? Um, because it's, it's, like, it's like anything else that is in an environment that's changing um, we're seeing changes in all sorts of marketplaces and childcare is a component of that. And I think this is where this is where sometimes the particular views that I know all three of us hold are misinterpreted as well. A little, little bit of a defence of the, the view that we hold. Not that we need to defend that, but I think sometimes there's a perception that that what we say is that we, we don't um, think... Uh, private childcare centres are good, but that's not actually the argument. The argument is, from our perspective, or I can't speak on your behalf, but I think this is what yeah, it's the of principle. She's speaking the, on our behalf. Yeah, <laughs> but it's the but it's the principle. You've the been principle around since 1927, Leanne. If you haven't earned a bit of um, leadership <laughs> in this space, I'm very old. But it's the, it comes down to this principle about about what's right for children in terms of quality and where that and maybe where the government money, taxpayers' money, should yes. be spent going into individual pockets, skimming That's... off the top of, of delivery yes. of a service. That's yeah. it. And I, ha- I just really, really dislike the idea that there is some, um, you know, young educated being paid at, a, at such a marginal rate and the person who 
owns or runs that organisation is living large. It just yeah. it just annoys me so much. Buying their second mansion next door to to yeah. no, not 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 speaking of anyone specifically, but uh, um. So I guess look so. Uh, Looking at the, the you know the, the the business model for early childhood, um, you know what a so that model is in place. It's here, whether we whether we think it sort of works or not. Um, what are the what are the most sensitive issues that fall out of it though? So we can obviously start with public holidays because that's been a big one, and um, I'd love to hear from you too some other ones. But I going back to when we were talking in the news list that the reason I think the public holidays became such an issue this year is because the so it, it, so Easter usually happens in uh, late March or early April, and because the rebate's been frozen, the the cap that has been frozen for so long, there are now families, um, which wouldn't have been the case two three years ago. There are a huge amount of families, even on four or five days a week, having to pay full fee for those days. Because I was trying to work out as well, why did this become such a big issue this year? This this you know this particularly every Easter. Easter happens every year, and I think that's why. It's because family. It's it's they're not only are they paying, they're they're not getting the CCR for it. I think that's a big reason that became yeah. an issue this year. But um, right, yeah. What but what are the other so with with the early childhood having to work as a business? What are the I guess what are the the, the other hot button issues for? I guess we should probably frame this through families, but even for for the service providers as well. Um, yeah, I'd be interested to hear from um, from either I, of you. I think one of the big ones is service levels, so that. If you're a business, that makes families your customers, right? And if families are your customers and they're paying for a service, then they can expect to to have um, a certain level of quality of that service. And I'm not talking about, you know, what we think of as quality, although some of the components are, but they don't expect to be fined for coming late because a, a big, you know, a business would understand that occasionally other business managers or, you know, people who work in businesses run late. They'd, I think that there's a whole range of things around, um, you know, like uh, – not having casual staff, you know, I pay you this service so that my child is happy when I leave them and if I'm leaving them with casual staff, I'm noticing that they're not as happy and I'm not as happy because where is people that I know at this business? This business has suddenly become something alien to me. Mm. So they're the sorts of things that I think are inherent in it. And I would say what happens is that the questions become different as well. So in a in a even in a business that is and I'm talking about a business as in an operation that may be not for profit, the questions start to become different even in that in that organization, which are how can we cut our costs? How can we um, how can we uh, become profitable because we might need more money in the future and uh, how can we attract more customers instead of the question of how can we make this the highest quality early childhood education for children. And 
it's not that I don't think people should run to a budget. I absolutely believe that effective use of of money, whether it comes from families or whether it comes from government, it should be used wisely and effectively and do all of those things. But once you start asking those other questions, then the focus becomes different. And the focus is definitely moving to profitability, even in community-based organisations. Yeah, well, it, well, it has to. Yep. Be, yeah, and it's a, and we'll, we've got a bit of a subtopic about um, how community not-for-profits can operate in this space a bit later on. But the only other things I sort of been thinking about this topic was um, the new thing of uh, charging for waiting lists. So this was mm. this was unheard of when I first started working in the sector, unless I was missing a, a, you know a few outliers. But it seems to be far more common. Um, now, there's even been discussions of it in my own organisation. We, we don't do it at the moment and I don't think we will. And but... what about enrolment fees? Yeah, well, even things like, well, actually a really interesting one to bring up is the payment of a bond. So as with any other business of this type, you would generally charge a bond to cover, you know, families changing their mind or just to have a or to cover um, any debts that may be accrued later on. But the problem with it, and generally... And I, speaking from experience working in organisations, it's generally two weeks fees. It could be different, but but even if we just say it's two weeks fees up front, but that's not that that's with no CCB or CCR. So with um, fees, what they are now. So imagine, and I say this because I, I've had within within my organisation we had this case of a family coming in with two children full time, a single parent. Who had you know a bond before she'd even set foot in the centre, and her child had you know had had this fee that was astronomical. Now we um, we we worked and waived a huge amount of that, but I imagine that wouldn't necessarily be happening in other businesses. But that you know even just you know the, the even at a basic level, just yeah, the, you're right. The, the enrolment fees, waiting list fees, the money that families may have to fork over before they even you know receive an induction pack is is can be pretty staggering these days. Yeah. yeah, and I, I was listening to um, some uh, stuff, which is a, a you know another challenging issue and one that we certainly couldn't address here about the um, housing stress. And a um, a mum was on the radio talking about um, the you know that the issue that she was in this cycle where she could she needed to go back to work, but she couldn't afford to use um, childcare because she couldn't afford the, the fees to get in there in the first place <laughs> and then couldn't afford to pay for housing. Like it was just this cycle. But the, the whole issue was that she was caught in this cycle and that was one of the elements of it. Yeah. But um, that might segue nicely into is one of the things I want to talk about is, you know, so we, you know, all three of us are very focused on community not-for-profit provision of early childhood education and care, um, which exactly the same as all the other organisations I mentioned have to operate in this space. Um you know how how can and how do you know those community not for profits? Um, how can how can we operate ethically in that space? And you know we and even you know thinking about that specific case for that family, you know of course um, we we you know we were able to because of you know I guess the the values of our organisation and our um, I, I think our, what we feel is our ethical obligation to do what we can to support those families. We're able to work something out, but. Um, you know, in that specific case, but what are you know in, in, in sort of I guess in more broad or specific terms, what 
this is it, I'm, I'm sounding a tongue tie because it's really tricky. There are things you there are there are lines you can draw and there are lines you can't. At the end of the day, you know you have to you, you know you have to receive payment for the the ongoing work. Um, yeah, yeah it, you, you're right, Liam. It is. It's a very difficult thing because I, once upon a time. Back in 1927, <laughs> you, you did. I'm going to add in some like sweet swing music in the background of this section, and just just like picture that. everyone sitting around in cocktail dresses smoking. Because <laughs> you used to be able to smoke inside the <laughs> You actually did. I remember going to a staff room once, and it was like, and it was just next to the baby's room. This is really oh, bad. God. And you just you walked into a wall of smoke. Anyway. Quite apart from good things about uh, the bad things about 1927, um, is that there used to be, a, I, I guess, more uh, directors of services and community managed committees were more empowered to use their funding um, in, in the ways that they saw fit. So some of the rorts that we have now were um, in in those times gone by, what was used in an ethical manner to support a family in some of those difficult circumstances that we've just described. Um, and there was, I mean, there were certainly questions around that, but they, and there was accountability, but the, 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 the power was at that local level to make those decisions. Um, and I don't want to sort of say everything was much better in the past, but um, I think in terms of operating ethically, I guess from my perspective, it's that foundational stuff, keeping the focus on the child and the family and the focus remaining with um, education and the opportunity. Uh, of course, that doesn't make you lots of money. That's naive and that's blah, blah, blah. But I guess that's where I see some of that that um, operating ethically coming from. Hmm. <laughs> Which doesn't make money. <laughs> I know, I think... Yeah, maybe. Because part of me worries that the, the answer to this question, because I think the reason I'm struggling with it, the, the answer to the question might be no. I, I don't know if you can purely ethically operate in this space. And that's not the fault of organisations or people. It's just, it's the system. I, it, we, unless there are... And, and states and territories have different approaches to supporting, um, you know, children experiencing vulnerability or, you know, families experiencing, you know, poverty or whatever. But... You know, that's entirely contingent on the government of the day and the policy, you know, sort of settings of the day. Um, I think, I don't know, but maybe controversially, um, I think you do have to, I, I don't think there's any way to not be compromised working in the sector as the way it is at so the do moment. You think then that, do you think not-for-profits don't belong in the sector then? Um, no, I think that, well, so yes, and I can see why you would think that, but no, I think they have to is the thing I think. Beyond the fact that you, you, there has to be some compromise, but I think the the alternative is is far worse. So if it was entirely you know a, a private for profit provision, things would be entirely worse. But but what I think then has to happen is there has to be advocacy about better systems and better and you know a, a, a structural reform of the sector that um, you know requires that stuff. And the community organisations have a huge role um, to play in that. Yeah, but do you disagree, Leanne? I mean, it is a bit. I think- Liam, I think there's a, a there's one key way I think that for profits and not for profits um, uh, operate, and it's not to do with anything um, that you would think in terms of being a business, but it's how they look at families. 
if you look at a family as we've got to be nice to this family because they've chosen to come to our service and they could choose another service just as easily. Therefore, we're going to treat them really, really well. So I remember hearing um, someone who uh, years and years ago who used to be head of a private um, childcare peak um, organisation, he used to say, that he'd stand on the veranda of the childcare every morning saying, hello, Mary, hello, John, hello, little Louise, you know, <laughs> how are you today? And and he saw that that was something he had to do as a business owner. He had to keep those families happy as they came through the door because they were his cash flow, they were his profit, they were his other, his whatever. I've never heard people in the not-for-profit sector talking about families in quite the same way. They may be desperate to hang on to families because they mean, you know, additional government subsidies for them or whatever, but it never, the relationship never becomes as distorted as that transaction. So that they're primarily seen. Uh, yeah, it's it's no longer as transactional. And so I think the ethical way to operate is to, you know, like primarily be about the children and families. And if you're doing that well, then the other shit will fall into place. Thanks is again. Is that naive? I, yeah, no, I think you're right. Thanks for getting me to have to add a beep there, though. But... um. The... Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And I don't think any well, whilst a lot of that exists in centres, it's not what you're talking about. But I think it comes down to an e- <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, a... I, <laughs> but I think you've you've actually hit on it, Lisa, which is the the reason um, that this is so. The reason this tension. Well, no, sorry. One of the significant reasons that this this tension exists for community not for profits is that you're right. I see in my work my um, client or whatever or however you want to put it is actually the child. So I'm there to support centres to deliver positive outcomes for children, but they're not paying the bill at the end of the day. This is a business. Someone's paying the bill, which distorts the, yeah, you're right, the distortion of the role of an early child education centre. So it's shifting away from best interests of the child to who's paying the bill, I've got to keep them happy. That's a, I think that's a fundamental tension that is very difficult to unpick and I think would even depend on an individual basis of a child and family. But this is what schools don't have. Like schools don't have that issue at all. Of course they have to have positive relationships with families and they should be significantly invested in that. But, you know, a teacher in a public school in Australia can walk in knowing I am not, you know, the family will accept accept it to the extent that, you know, taxpayers are funding it, but they are there for the child and they don't have to have anything beyond those, those guardrails, which we just don't have in early childhood in Australia. Yep. All right. We're going to finish on a... F- <laughs> I'd be surprised if this question is controversial or difficult to answer. But uh, Leanne and Lisa, do we think the Jobs for Families package will make the situation better or worse? Take as long as you want worse. to answer this. Oh, it ta- worse. <laughs> worse. <laughs> yeah, I'd look, I, all I would say is that if you take every objective that the Productivity Commission set out to do and you put not in front of every single one of those objectives, <laughs> I think that's what you'll find the Jobs for Families package does. Tick, oh, tick, tick, tick. God. Yeah. Yeah. Do you agree, Liam? 
I do, I do. And I guess we should probably be specific. I mean, the, the big thing, the, the kicker for me, beyond the fact... I still feel mad that I have to... I'm, I'm going to point this out till my dying breath, but beyond the fact it's called the Jobs for Families package um, is the shift to the um, the hourly... The, the what, what will probably have to be a shift to hourly billing. So if we loop back around to the discussion we had at the start, which was one of the issues in the set, is that um, the community views early childhood as this transactional day-by-day thing, whereas schools are seen as more of you know either a term or year or, or you know being really general. This will even this this will then drill that even further down to an hourly by hourly arrangement. So families be, <laughs> won't be complaining about the days now; they'll be complaining about the hours they're being charged for. I think it is it is diabolical, and I'm actually and again playing that I work in an operations role at the moment in the sector. I am terrified about how this is going to play out. Yep. Yes. Yay. Well, yes, and time will tell. Uh, welcome back to the show, everyone, where when we are depressed <laughs> yet again. <laughs> oh, look, I think we've covered so much ground tonight, but it's so um, encouraging to um, bring it back to the jobs for families. move on to our recommendations for the week and um i think we'll stick with our usual thing we did we were sort of doing which is we'll we'll try and avoid having too much discussion of the individual points and just sort of link them to them and let people discover them for themselves so um leanne did you want to what are you going to um suggest people head over and check out this week oh i'll just be quick um i think i've become obsessed with all things new zealand and this is (laughs) um an open letter to the new education minister on early childhood policy It, it it kind of reminded me of some of the um things that uh we may have put out in the past, Lisa, um, giving uh, sage advice to newly elected um, <laughs> reps. But I just, I just thought it was a, you know, really great summary. And probably you could pick off those things and say, yep, they're the sorts of things that need to happen internationally um, to make things, things great. And it grieves me to see that New Zealand is kind of going backwards, I suppose. So that that's the piece that I've uh, recommended this week. Awesome. Good. What are you going to bring us, Lisa? Look, I've got um, a document that I've been studying because I've got a job um, around it, and I'm interested in seeing what people's ideas on it are. The New South Wales government have brought out a draft state, um, a set, a state environmental planning policy around education facilities, one of which is um, childcare. But as part of that, they've brought out a draft childcare planning guideline, and it's about planning and designing quality childcare facilities. And they reckon if you follow this, then councils won't be able to say, um, you know, won't be able to reject your development application um, for a childcare service. Uh, I think it's actually not like I've got real problems with councils having being um, having their planning rights taken away from them, but I think that as a actual planning guideline um, that talks about good design, I think they've kind of got it right. So I'd be interested in other people having a look at it and telling me what they thought. And I think there was um, extensive consultation on this as well. So yes. it's. This is a, as a result of that, which is excellent. Sometimes a consultation, consultation that works. Work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They'd have to well, happen hang eventually. Well, on. We don't know. We don't know that they'll pick up. Like, you know, people have said stuff, but it doesn't mean they're going to change any single <laughs> bit of this. It all looks very designed and finished to me. No, no but there, there was consultation on the draft of this. Oh, there was, but a lot of the groups that were consulted on the draft said the draft bears no resemblance to it. Oh, right. Oh, okay. Excellent. Gosh. All, all right. right. Strike. Take it all back. You're out. You're out, planning department. <laughs> um, and my one quickly is um, uh, just a link to an article with uh, NPR, which is becoming my go-to of choice. I've got to oh, read something else. I know. I, like I know it's, it's it's public. Okay, you're banned from that. <laughs> Support your local public radio station. Anyway, so New York is um, doing something we've been talking about in Australia for quite a long time, which is looking at doing uh, funding a three-year-old preschool. Um, so it's interesting in the US that they even fund city by city, or even as opposed to state by state. But um, there's a link to a fantastic article with James Heckman, who is a you know very well known um, professor of economics and um, ad- champion advocate for early childhood education. Um, there's a really great interview with him just about why that's important, and I guess making the case for that to be to be funded. And it's um, yeah, it's 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 definitely worth. He's, he makes some really good points um, as he as he always does. Big fan of James Heckman over here. I'm adding him to my to my poster wall with. Frank Overclade, but um, oh. yeah, but um, that's it. I think we, I think we managed to keep that relatively well on the rails. Did it feel like we were away at all? I think we did well. We're pretty much done. Mm. So we've come back fresh, but with exactly <laughs> the same opinions as we left. Yeah, I reckon the depression level was only about forty percent, which is much lower than it has been of, of late. Which so I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, well um, done. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up, you can um, we'd like to thank everyone who's supporting the show in all the various ways. You can now do that if you, um, if for some insane reason, want to um, financially support the show, which helps us to do, um, you know, make make time to do the podcast, but then to even do some more fun things down the road. You can um, do that for as little as $1 a month at Patreon. So if you head to patreon.com forward slash early edu show, um, we would be eternally grateful for that support. It really allows us to do some more fun stuff. Um, if you can't do that, and a rating and review on the iTunes store is just as great as it helps um, uh, through some weird algorithm I, I neither understand nor know much about. Um, helps other people find the show, particularly other early childhood professionals and advocates and, and friends. Um, you can get in touch with us, uh, or you can visit our fancy new webpage at the moment, which is uh, earlyeducationshow.com, which is thanks to our Patreon supporters. Thank you very much. Um, you can contact us a few different ways. You can uh, flick us an email. I check it occasionally, I promise, at uh, earlyeduShow at gmail.com. Um, we're also on Facebook and Twitter at earlyeduShow. Um or, or, or harass us individually, particularly on Twitter. We, we, we like that. Um, you can find me at Liam McNicholas. And me at Lisa J. Bryant. And me at Leanne M. Gibbs 3. And we are under an hour, people. Let's just celebrate that briefly. Um, so Yay. we've done well. We've been very disciplined. But um, until next week, um, we hope you uh, have, a, have a fantastic week. And it's bye from me. And from me. And from me. And from me.